day comes from the, uh, not from a gospel text, but from one of the epistles, one of the, uh, the pieces that is outside the gospel story. Uh, Luke and Acts are considered to be written by the same author. In Luke, Luke tells the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his ministry, uh, his death, and then later his resurrection. Acts tells the beginning of the new church. It is the beginning of what the disciples have spread and house churches begin to be formed. The Holy Spirit comes down uh, through the book of Acts uh, and we see several different stories that show the continuation of Jesus' ministry. The story today is a story of uh, one of Jesus' disciples uh, healing a woman and it's a profoundly powerful story that's found in the ninth chapter of Acts uh, verses 36 through 43. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with a request Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and he prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, bless the reading and the hearing of this, your holy word, but especially bless its doing. Amen. This story is really unique. It's unique in a couple of different ways. One, it is a story of a woman, a woman who likely had some significant means. She had some wealth. We know that because in other parts of the text, we hear that Dorcas is one of the women who supported Jesus throughout her ministry. We also know that there is no person, no man, equated with being with her in this text. It is her home, it appears. And we know it has some sort of wealth associated with it because it had a second floor. In most uh, housing situations during that time period, they were flat level, one level houses but she had an upper room. An upper room meant that it was a two-story house. We've heard of upper rooms before. Jesus in the Last Supper with his disciples was having supper in an upper room, a house of some wealth, a house of someone who had that capacity. It's an amazing thing to hear a story simply about a woman like that. The second thing is she is described as a disciple Right? The same word that describes the disciples describes Tabitha. Tabitha, the disciple. 
She is a woman who has been teaching and leading, and as we all know, during that time period, women didn't really do that. So she is a woman who is living outside of the cultural norms. It gives us two names here, both Tabitha and Dorcas. We, uh, we believe that one of those is a Jewish name. The other name is Greek. She might have been of mixed heritage. She might have been uh, someone who just was a, a bridge, a divide between those two groups, and they had given her this name as sort of an honor. We're not exactly sure. But she's a woman with property, a disciple, and she is someone who knew Jesus. Now, when she dies, she is surrounded by this group of widows. The widows come to lay her to rest. And when they do that, remember how people prepared others for burial. They would have put uh, scented cloths around her. They would have put perfumes. They would have put uh, different elements to prepare her body for burial, possibly. And they laid her upstairs in the upper room. They were beside themselves about losing Tabitha. They hear Simon Peter is close by, so they send messengers to get him, and he comes back. And here's where we see the impact of Tabitha. The widows are standing there weeping and mourning, and they are holding the tunics and the clothing that she had made. Probably many of those items for them, for family members. She is, after all, a seamstress, it seems. On the front cover of the bulletin today and this uh, picture up on the screen, that is called The Seamstress. It's a 1946 painting that shows a woman leaning over, uh, eyeing that needle uh, and being a seamstress. And the, the role of seamstress has always been a pretty important one. You've got to have clothes to wear. My grandmother, Holda, uh, uh, Holda Clifton, lived in Slayton, Texas, uh, and Holda was a seamstress. She worked for a department store there in their town, and she went in every day, and she took measurements of folks who wanted to get a new dress or a new suit, a new shirt, a new gown, and then she would make those, have, the others, you know, have them come back and fit to make sure everything's all right. That was her job. She was a professional seamstress. I've told the congregation before, some of you may not have heard this story, but my nanny made dresses for us as we were growing up. There's 27 months from the first birth to the third birth in my family. So uh, we are very close together. My nanny and my mother used to think it was cute to dress us up in little stair-step dresses, all the same pattern for the three, four, and five-year-old or for the six, seven, and eight-year-old. Uh, and uh, some of those dresses uh, I uh, rebelled against fairly early and, and got to get out of those. Uh, but uh, nanny loved to sew for other people. She not only did it as her professional life, she did it personally for the family, for people around her, for neighbors. She taught her daughter to sew, my mom. And when we were growing up, uh, my nanny made most of the stuff when we were little. When we got to like junior high and into high school and stuff, my mother would make things for us. And um, when you go to school uh, in a community, uh, they had quite a bit of wealth, which was Andrews, Texas. It was the oil capital of Texas, uh, the biggest producing oil county in the country during that time period, the late 70s. When you walk into a school where some of your classmates uh, are driving BMWs and Mercedes and Jaguars, and you have a shirt that your mother has made you, and you can see the seams on it, uh, that begins to get a little tricky. 
right? So how do we wear this and love her and cover it up as quick as possible, right? And so we got really adept at putting sweaters in our backpacks uh, or keeping a, a coat or a jacket in our locker uh, or going in and kissing mom goodbye and right after we got outside, slipping a hoodie over uh, our heads. We were a little embarrassed to be wearing clothes that were homemade. My mother did those things with love. Her mother had taught her, and she will make stuff for us and teach. No, she didn't teach us. None of us cared. <laughs> we knew that if we weren't going to wear clothing that was handmade then, we weren't going to do it at any point in the future. Some years ago, my mother uh, had been given by my dad when she was still sewing a Viking sewing machine. And I mean, this is top of the line Viking sewing machine. Uh, and uh, he didn't want to pick out the one for her, so he put $100 bills in envelopes and stuffed them in the Christmas tree. And she never saw them. They had been there for weeks. And she had never seen these envelopes sitting in there. And we're like, Dad, you literally put $100 bills on our tree People could have come in here and stole not only our tree, but all your gift. And he said, oh, no, no one would do that. It's the preacher's house. <laughs> all right. Anyway, mom finds it. She goes to buys her Vikings. She's sewing. At the point around high school that we were just really not going to wear anything that she made anymore, she started making a few things for her. She would, you know, she would bind off some quilts. She would do things for people. But she really sort of got out of the habit of sewing. So the sewing machine sat there for a while. It wasn't used. Uh, their next move, they sort of didn't take it out of the box. It sort of sat uh, in the storage room, and it wasn't being used at all. One day, my mother went to Bible study, and um, she was sitting around this table, and there were some people at the table and some people sort of on the periphery sort of talking. Uh, and mom hears out of her ear this woman over here who's a friend of hers say, yeah, my neighbor, she is really struggling. She, she loves to sew, but her sewing machine broke. Uh, she has an SD or she has a, an online account that she likes to sell things on, uh, and it's her only way to sort of keep her kids in clothes. And mom's sitting there, and she's like, well, I have a sewing machine. It's just sitting there, right? And uh, so she leans over uh, to the woman, and she said, you need a sewing machine? She said, yeah, my neighbor needs this. And she's like, all right, let me check. So she goes home, she gets the sewing machine out, uh, and uh, she takes it to the, uh, the repair shop. And they do what they have to do to sort of fix it up. It wasn't quite <clears throat> as fixable as she wanted it to be. And he sort of traded her uh, because it had some elements in it that were still very highly valued, and there was some other stuff that was just sort of out of date. And so they almost got a trade-for-trade -trade, uh, situation going. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she brought this sewing machine home. And the next Bible study, she's sitting there, and she says to the woman, I can't remember the woman she was talking to, what her name was, and she said, hey, I've got something in my car for you after Bible study. Will you come out with me? And she said, absolutely. So they go out to the car, <clears throat> and Mom pops the trunk. And in there is not a Viking. It wasn't that kind of trade for trade, but there's a very nice sewing machine sitting there. And the woman who mom was talking to, she just almost burst into tears, and she said, oh, my goodness, that is so amazing. Tabitha will love it. And my mom said, what's her name? And her friend said, her name is Tabitha. And my mom said, that's the seamstress in the Bible. Weird. 
right? These God moments that sort of sneak up on you and you go, ooh, wow, <laughs> right? It was, this, it was this amazing thing that not only had my nanny taught, my mother, my mother shared her gifts with us, and it went on to a new woman who made items of clothing for the next years uh, and sells them uh, probably still to this day because my mom, when they left Lubbock, she found out that Tabitha was still sewing. It's an amazing legacy to leave something to someone, right? It's an amazing legacy uh, to do things, to be makers, to be crafters, to be gardeners, to be uh, people who are, who are knitting and sewing. Charlotte's over here knitting. Cindy's knitting. There are people right here in this place that are making something right here as we're here, right? This one was made by, for me by Cindy. When we share our gifts with others, some of them are tangible gifts. They're actual items that come into our hands, and we think, oh, that's so lovely. Thank you for giving me that. And sometimes it's something you made. It's sometimes something someone else made, and that's okay. But the legacy lives on because we share that with one another. We share our gifts. We share our talents. We share the things that are important to us. It's a legacy that lives on. Over the last week or eight days, I have done two funerals for 90-plus-year-old men, Fred Muller and Jack Chapman. Both, in the last years of their life, cared for very ill wives. Jan, suffering from a stroke, and Mitzi, who has been dealing with Alzheimer's for 10 years. These men gave a legacy to their sons, to their daughters. These men left a legacy of caring for others. I know that there is another date on the Hallmark calendar today. It is all of us that share legacies with one another, men and women, children, old and young, talented and skeptical. It is all the things that we do to share the faith with others that leaves a legacy that continues to move beyond ourselves. All of you have something that someone made you. Maybe it's a scar. Maybe it's a bedspread. Maybe it is a, a hand-painted uh, little fingers on a plaque that one of your kids made at school. Maybe it's something your grandkids did for you. Maybe it's a, a piece of furniture. I don't know what, but everybody probably has something that someone made for them, used their talents and their gifts to share that beyond who they were. Those women who came into that upper room and showed the cloths and the tunics that she had made for them were bearing witness to the legacy that she left. They were bearing witness to how important it is to share who we are and what we have as a part of our lives. They were bearing witness to the fact that she was important. She was remembered. Now, we can get really trapped if we want to talk about the miracle, right? And there are people out there, when you talk about miracles and the rising of the dead, there are some people automatically will say, there's no way that happened. Their scientific or logical mind won't let them do that. I think that we just have to be where we are about miracles. The frustrating thing is when we read a story of a miracle and we think, why couldn't we have that miracle with my dad or my mom or my beloved? I don't have that answer. None of us do. God is God and it's not me. I can't answer that. 
The truth is that Tabitha is an important person because of who she was and what she shared. She was a disciple who did acts of charity and mercy. It wasn't just the widows standing around. There were probably other people in town who had clothing and tunics and things that she had made for them. She is raised from the dead to bear witness to the power of Jesus Christ. She is raised from the dead because Peter knows that some people need a miracle to believe. She was raised from the dead because Peter was present and saw the witness of her life and chose her. It doesn't always make sense who gets the miracle. It doesn't always make sense. But Tabitha on that day was raised from the dead. Jesus looked at her and said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. He leaned, her hand, he leaned his hand out and she took it and he raised her up and let her stand. That is powerful. Who needs a hand in your life? Who needs that gentle nudge to raise themselves up into the better person that they want to be? Who needs that hand to be taught something new? Who needs that sharing of the gospel story? Who needs to hear about love and faith and hope and grace this day? I know there are days I sure do. And I know there are days you do. Let's all bear witness to the power of faith. Let's all bear witness to the legacies of love and hope. Let's all bear witness to the lives that we have lost and the lives that are here in their spirit and their hope who bring us face to face with the power of Jesus. What will you stitch together this week? Your day, your week, your hour, your time with your kids, a meal that you put together. Where will you stitch your faith into the fabric of your life? Amen.